Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you so much for taking your time to stop by and listen to my podcast, which is called Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Here, we are really trying to give you good content. And if you're listening to season four, then you've noticed that I've had a couple of guest people as my take my spot. And it has been fabulous. And I appreciate so much their willingness to step in as well as I love your responses. So if you've got a comment, please send it to me, add it to the bottom, ask questions. I'm here to make answers. So today is going to be an interesting day. We're going to have a conversation around generations. For so many years, You've seen ads, you've seen podcasts, you've seen, you've probably heard podcasts, you've seen YouTubes that talk about four or five generations in the workplace. And that's what we're going to talk about today, from the perceptions of baby boomers all the way down to Gen Z. And of course, we have another generation afterwards, and it's called Gen A, which starts in the year 2012. But for the most part, what I see now are Gen X and millennials actually in supervisory executive roles, trying to figure out how to create a workplace that is really diverse and inclusive. And that includes understanding the latest people to come into the workforce, which are Gen Z. Gen Z were born somewhere between 1997 all the way to 2012. So for the most part, they're kind of in their 20s and early 30s between Gen Millennials and Gen Z. And so that crossover of what we're trying to talk about today are people who are kind of 18-ish all the way through maybe 35-ish in their age. I brought this podcast specifically because I've heard too many senior executives say something like, I don't get this generation. And usually it is then followed by what caused them to make that comment, such as comments like, this generation is so lazy. All they want to do is overthrow what we've built and everything is cancel culture. They don't have any loyalty. They won't keep a job. They're job hopping or every year they want to get promoted. They're materialistic. They like fancy breakfasts and flashy clothes. They're not into investing in things that are going to last. You know what? They cry at the drop of the hat. Yes, somebody actually told me that. They can't take any kind of feedback. Every time I give them feedback, they're off crying and whining and I just can't stand it. They also say things like all they can do is build PowerPoint presentations, but they can't analyze the information and make a good decision. They generally don't like talking to people, so they're always texting and creating Instagram messages. Why can't they just pick up a phone? And one of the last things I hear quite a bit about is this is the boomerang generation. They are back in my house. When are they ever going to grow up? Well, all of those comments, when I hear them, just tell me that we have yet to learn how to work with another difference in the workplace. The bottom line is these executives are struggling with people who are different, diverse, 
and part of the workforce. If you are in a leadership role, a significant part of your job involves managing people. Managing people fundamentally means managing expectations, yours and those that you lead. I'm here today with my guests, Alexa Greer and Taylor Beaven, to talk about what it takes to embrace the diversity in your workforce called ageism or generational differences. Both of my guests are part of my team, and I like to think that we're working well. But it didn't mean that we didn't have to talk about the differences and the different perspectives that we bring to the workforce. I'm hoping that this conversation today will give you some insights on how you can close the gap between what you know about managing people who are just like you and people who may be slightly different. With that, let me introduce you to my guest. Alexa Greer is a 25-year-old project manager working with me here at Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Inc. She has a degree in marketing from Eller College of Management and a background in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Go, Alexa! She is based in Tucson, Arizona. She is a member of the queer community and spends her free time playing Dungeons and Dragons and biking. Taylor, Taylor Beaven, is the founder of Robot Bubble LLC, a digital marketing consultancy with a focus on web design. Guess what? He owns his own company. Can't be that lazy, people, but I digress. Taylor is 23 years old, a graduate of Keene State College with a BA in political science. Taylor works with me here and to build brand and update my website. Taylor also lives with his fiance in New Hampshire and spends his free time playing his guitar, video games, and his favorite, Dungeons and Dragons. Welcome, Alexa and Taylor. Hi, thank you for having us. Yeah, glad to be here, Denise. Oh, great. This is going to be a good conversation. So I thought I'd start with, I want each of you to kind of talk a little bit about what's your experience been entering the workforce, some of the things that you've liked, some of the things that have said, you know, can't stand that. And why did you choose, because both of you in a strange way have your own businesses, why did you choose to leave the workforce and or start your own business? And I'll start with you, Taylor. Well, I mean, I know for me, it was more of an opportunity rather than necessarily a, an active choice. You know, marketing was never something that I intended to really jump into. My degree in political science that I was working on. And while I was doing that, I came across opportunities to start working with people for social media. And ironically, the only reason that I did that was because I was you know, 17 at the time, they were like, Hey, you, you look young, you know how to use Twitter. I was like, I mean, I, I kind of do sure, you know? And so then I started doing that for, you know, other companies. And then it got to the point where I was able to start working full-time while I was still in college. And I just kind of started learning more and more about marketing. And eventually I learned how to use WordPress books and stuff like that. And it's just become this opportunity that I kept grabbing onto different opportunities as they arise. You know, even in the summers of college, I was still working at a grocery store and a steel manufacturing plant as an estimator, but then doing some marketing stuff on the side. And so it really just kind of developed. It wasn't as much an active choice, but it is one that I'm really glad that happened. All right. Alexa, what about you? Yeah. So I think for me, it makes the most sense to start with my experience in college. As I was going through my senior year, I had the opportunity to serve as a diversity, equity, and inclusion advisor for a major cosmetic retailer. And it was sort of an internship, sort of contract work, but it really was my first entrance into a workspace that was multi-generational. And I found myself being the youngest person in the room. And with that, I think came a lot of 
of assumptions, particularly because I was in that role of being somebody who was advocating for others. And so I quickly learned that it wasn't enough just to form relationships with people from other generations who had similar personalities to me. If I wanted these ideas to make it to the workers that I was ultimately advocating for, I had to learn how to speak the language of all of these different individuals. And for me, I found that what was most helpful was the DISC assessment. I know there are similar personality tests out there, but learning about that and being able to see like, here's where I I chart for me, for people who know the DISC, I chart very high in D and I, which I think is, what's the D? Dominance and influence. Dominance and influence. Thank you. And so being able to recognize like, okay, here's how I communicate. And here's, you know, sometimes I do have to walk the wheel if I'm going to reach people who might not be as like conversational as I am, people who might be a little bit more analytical with their decision making. And overall, it was a positive experience. And it kind of led me to want to pivot. I wanted to take the skills that I learned there and use them almost outside of a bureaucracy (laughs) to use them in a way where I didn't have to go through so many different people to, to come to a decision. I feel like there's something really powerful about having a smaller team. And I found that you can use those influence skills. They still come in handy, no matter what size your team is. So this is kind of a broad, so you heard my opening and a lot of what I said were things that executives are saying to me. What irritates you most about the perception of your generation? Taylor? Probably the, the lazy bit, I think, is, is one of the most consistent things that irritates me only because I don't really know anyone who's lazy, even people who are younger than me and a little bit older than me. Like everyone I know works really hard. Many of my friends work, you know, 60 hours a week just at jobs that aren't super fun. And a lot of them have aspirations and do really work really hard to, you know, create something or make something out of themselves. And, you know, I think the biggest irritation that I've come across as well, just personally, is walking into Aram and trying to have to prove that you're there for a reason. You know, I mean, especially when I'm younger and I walk into a convention, for example, that when I was 19, I drove down to Philadelphia and did a convention and I was there and somebody asked me if like my parent was there with me or something. I was like, no, that's, you know, I'm, I'm just here. And I, I can't remember who it was, but there was a diversity inclusion consultant, I believe, who said that something along the lines of, When you walk into a room, assume that everybody is supposed to be there kind of thing. And that really stuck out to me because it was really frustrating for me to walk into a room and have to constantly prove that like, yeah, you know, I I do look like a little kid. You know, I was 19, but I looked like I was 16. It was frustrating having to prove and it come up every time. It's like, no, you know, I, I started my own company, you know, a few months ago. I do this. I've been doing this stuff for several years now. And you know, so that kind of assumption that every time I spoke with someone, it was that kind of like, no, I'm not lazy. I, I do work a lot and I know what I'm doing and I am supposed to be here. And that's one of the most consistent frustrations that I've had, especially when I know a lot of my friends who've worked harder than other people that I know. And I don't really know that it's fair to define an entire generation based on some stereotypes because some of the hardest working people I know are even where some of the hardest working people I know are Gen X or Gen Z or A or whatever, you know, I don't think the generation defines how hard you're working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that. What about you, Alex? Yeah, I mean, I think the the lazy comment definitely gets under my skin. But I, I think, too, this idea that millennials and Gen Z are 
like overly sensitive. That's something that I hear a lot, kind of like the snowflake rhetoric, you know, et cetera. But for me, I, when I hear that, I just feel like our people, and it's not even, that's the thing, like it's not even limited to people who are around my age, around the age of 25. Like I think that in the people that are around me and the people that I work with, the people in my community, it's more so that we see these things in politics. We see these things happening in our communities, happening in the news, the world around us. And rather than tuning it out and being like, oh, this doesn't affect me directly, people are starting to adjust their way of thinking. And personally, I think a lot of it has to do with this pandemic and the fact that there was so much uncertainty. We had no idea who was going to be affected by this. It could be anybody. And so I think it's really strengthened this core muscle of empathy that even the people that I know, again, who are more analytical, they're more logical in their decision making. It's like, they're affected too, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just think rather than this rhetoric of like, oh, they're too sensitive. They cry at the drop of a hat. It's like, well, no, like they, they care about people that they haven't even met and they're wanting to create action that will make the world a better place, you know? And I think that sometimes there's some defensiveness and even hearing you, Denise, talk about how sometimes there's this perception of like, oh, they're just trying to overthrow everything we've done. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't identify with that. You know, I don't hold like my baby boomer neighbors responsible for like the effects of capitalism, you know, like, and, and I don't think that it's, it's all theirs to own, you know, that's a lot to put again on an entire generation. Mm -hmm. And I, I almost just want to invite them in. Like, yeah, like imagine this with us, you know, like imagine what, what the future can look like. What excites you? What scares you? How do you want to impact this? Because I think that it's it's an effort that happens together. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the issues, Alexa, since you were talk, just now talking, it made me start thinking about, what do you see are some issues that are specifically affecting your generation? I mean, what is it that you all are concerned with? Because, you know, that's the other side. Kayla was saying, you know, why are we so broad brushing stroke broad stroking generations when it really is every generation has different people in it but i think there there's this feeling that your generation or at least we hear in the way you speak that there's some things that are specific to your generation that may not have for past generations what do you think those are yeah so i mean to to answer your question i think that these are problems that concern people my age but by no means are they exclusive. And I think like Taylor, I kind of also occupy the space between Gen Z and millennials. So the zillennials as they're calling it. But oh my gosh, is there another title that I have? To I learn? know, I know. But I <laughs> the idea that generational divides aren't real. Like that's how I choose to perceive it. Anyway, I think the issues that are most concerning are around climate change. Almost every other day, I'm seeing a, a headline saying, you know, if we if we don't get to zero emissions by 2050, it's over. You know, I mean, that's not what they're saying, but it kind of is. Mm-hmm. I think systemic racism, again, it doesn't just affect people around my age, but it definitely is an issue that is top of mind and a high priority as we continue into our future. I also think that there's a mental health reckoning happening right now like we saw this summer with Simone Biles, you know, just trying to integrate all of these lessons that we've seen our parents go through 
kind of a nine to five burnout almost. It's like, oh my gosh, I just feel like we're bearing witness to all these generations before us who have put their bodies in their minds through so much turbulence and and strife. And I think to have seen all that and to be at this turning point where for me personally, I'm a project manager, but I don't know what my future holds. I don't know what my career holds. And so I almost see as people before me have put in all this struggle, they have really put in the effort to make something of themselves. And I almost feel like it's out of respect to people who have to the workers, like it's respect to the workers that I'm like, okay, I see you, I see the lessons that you've passed down. And I want to make different choices based on them. You know, and so I just hope, <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's not meant to be offensive. Me choosing differently isn't an offense to anybody who chose a more traditional path, you know, right. and I don't think it's ever that way. Right, right. Taylor, what do you think? I mean, because you, you're kind of set and, and certainly a little bit outside of because you've started your own business and there's a, a large number of millennial Gen Z kinds of folks who are jumping out straight in their own business. And so you've kind of taken the reins by bull by the horn, the reins, you know, of, of your own destiny in life. But when you talk to your other friends who out here kind of doing the nine to fiver, which is a myth, even if, as I say it, I want to slap myself, but working for someone else, what are some of the things that they're talking about? And how does that affect you? Or how do you think about that? I mean, part of it is, you know, the way that some of my friends, and I, I think this is where some of the generational differences are, are is like how we talk about some of the issues that we have at work, I think is a little bit different than what I've heard from like my parents. So for example, you know, I've heard conversations at the dinner table for my family, you know, somebody complaining about a really irritating boss. And they're like, yeah, you know, that, that sucks, but that's life. But then, you know, I'll have a friend who's like, yeah, I, I don't think I can work here much longer. Like my boss just really doesn't treat me well. You know, like I, I'm going to have to find another job because I think the difference is we've kind of seen so much. I mean, technology has changed a lot, especially recently. And so we've seen a lot and we know that we shouldn't have to be treated that way. And I think, like Alexis said, the pandemic has changed a lot of that because we started to look around and see, OK, you know, a, we should be making more money than we are for doing this. You know, we shouldn't necessarily just be sending King Bezos to space when I can't fill on food stamps. And so it's, you know, people who do have that opportunity to say, I can't work here. It's negatively affecting my mental health are more willing to take that opportunity. Unfortunately, not everybody does have that just because jobs aren't everywhere. But that's one of the biggest differences I've noticed between the way people around my age talk about work and people older than usually there is that kind of difference. And it's affected me in the sense that I know, you know, I'm, I'm currently at this kind of crossroads where I can look at what direction I really want to take my company. And with that, I, I'm always holding the knowledge of, you know, if I'm going to grow my company, if I'm going to take on more employees and stuff, I need to make sure that I'm not making mistakes that other people have made in the past. And that means making sure that I'm paying them correctly, making sure, you know, I'm not texting them in the middle of the night for work stuff that when they get off their computer, they're done with work, you know, really adjusting to what the more modern kind of idea of working is, because like you said, it's not necessarily a nine to five and it shouldn't even necessarily be a nine to five. It should be something where people are able to get the work done that they need to 
and they're able to do great work. And as long as you create an inclusive workspace, they're going to be able to do the best work that they can. And if you treat them right, they're going to do great work. And, you know, if they make a mistake, that's life that happens, help them understand how they can avoid making that mistake again in the future and help them progress themselves. So that way they can in turn progress the company. You know, that's really what it's all about is it's, it's a one-win situation. And so I, I kind of take those ideas that I've learned from, you know, my friends and from other great leaders. I mean, Denise Cooper, I don't know if you heard her, is a great leader that I've learned a lot from. And, you know, implement, understanding that I need to implement those ideas and leadership traits in order to have a successful organization, because in the past that may not have been necessary, but I think as we move on and people start to see the world more because of social media and stuff, and they see the climate change issues, they're starting to see, you know, life's short. I have the opportunity to not work here and work somewhere else that may be better for my mental health. I'm going to take that. And so it's really understanding that in order to survive as a business, you do need to become more inclusive short-term and long-term. Yeah. And it's interesting, some of the things that you said, because I actually did some research in terms of doing this. And it's one of the things that everybody talks about is, you know, job hopping and job hopping today is for the most part, you know, we're 2021, we look at it and people are job leaving jobs for about 2.9 years, almost three years. If we went back to 1980, guess what, at your generation or your age group, I'm not even going to say your generation, but your age group, people left jobs every three years. Not much difference. It's funny because when I hear it, I remember being the youngest person on the workplace and the youngest one and everybody kind of looking at me like, you don't know anything and having to make my mark. And then one day I realized I'm not the youngest one anymore. It's just one of the things. and, And I'm pretty sure that I probably jumped five or six jobs before I landed where I was. So when I hear some of this rhetoric that they're talking about, you know, new entrants into the workforce, it just reminds, takes me back to when I was growing up. And when I was at that generation of, you know, I started here and, you know, I started as a teacher and realized that I was making more money working and and after the night shift at John Morrell Meatpacking Plant, which is now Smithfield, than I was as a teacher. And I couldn't understand why we didn't value teachers. Then I want to talk a little bit about income and salary, because I think one of the big drivers of what is not allowing the generation but that we're talking about to live a full life and to do some of the things that maybe their parents did is the fact that we have these issues around salary, the difference between a marketplace job and a livable wage. Alexa, I know that you have a real passion around this, particularly after working for retail and retail and restaurant service jobs tend to be the lowest paying jobs. They also tend to be jobs that are filled with women and that now it's just harder to do that. I, I was wondering about your thoughts in terms of livable wage and what's keeping the generation or the ages that we're talking about, kind of that 18 to 30, 35, from really starting to live what we euphemistically or or forever lovingly say is the American dream. Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And I think that job hopping, the, the two kind of go together. And the reason that I say that is because so many organizations, when they have an employee who has been that reliable contributor and they go to ask for that raise for one reason or another, they're going to say no, even though they would just as easily bring someone else in an external hire at a, at a higher rate, you know? And so to me, that's why job hopping exists in that way too. I almost see it as being is preventable. 
if it's something that as a recruiter, you're interviewing someone and you see that they have spent, you know, a year here, two years here, if you want to keep them at your company, I think you can. (laughs) That's a choice that business that business owners get to make because for so many, the reason that they're job hopping is because they've been denied that raise. It's because they don't see that career progression track in front of them. Or as Taylor said, that they've just been treated badly. Or they've, exactly, they've been treated badly. So I see it as being highly preventable for one. But I do also think that for people who are around my age, it's just, I think it's part of the process for a lot of different reasons. Denise, you talked about going through six different roles. I think that trying on all these different careers, especially early on, can show you, okay, like I liked this, but I didn't like that. Here's what I want in my next role. But it also gives you the opportunity to negotiate your salary in accordance to the skills that you've gained from each position. Mm-hmm. And I think especially as an individual contributor, as somebody, if you don't run your own business, it is your own promise and commitment to yourself, I think, to make sure that you are advocating for your worth, that you know how to have those difficult conversations. And I think that the the earlier you start, the less difficult they feel. Because I think at the end of the day, if you're with a company or a business that values you, it's worth having that conversation as opposed to just not talking about it and then disappearing one day, you know, and they're like, oh, we didn't know, you know. I think it it is avoidable. Yeah. As we're thinking about it, one of the things that I've noticed over my tenure of working is that when I started, we organizations weren't nearly as flat. And so there was room in there to allow people to grow in position, to grow and to learn things around it. Now organizations are running so lean that it really is pretty tough to have people who who are more immature in their skills is what I'll call it. It's just being immature. You've got to, you've got to do it. It's not just going to school, but you've got to be able to apply the, your knowledge in a way that creates value for other people. And if you don't do that, then you know your performance is less than someone else's. But it does take time to practice it. Just like I say with leaders all the time, you can't be a, a better leader if you're not practicing better leader skills, better communication skills, better ability to talk to people who are not like you, who come from a different point of view, being accepting of that. And so one of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about is as you're out here trying to, you know, make your career, make your mark in the in the world and whatnot, one of the things that, you know, I hear over and over again is the digital divide. That because your generation and particularly the next generation has just learned to do that. You're smarter, you're better, you're more comfortable communicating without really seeing people. So this idea that you don't like to talk to people, what is that about? I'm just going to ask it. What is that about? Y'all text and text and text and what's the deal? I think that like we talked about, there isn't generational divides aren't new at all necessarily. You know, every generation has some semblance of divide. There's always that, you know, even I'm starting to have that where, you know, I'm looking, I see the new SpongeBob trailers. I'm like, really? They're ruining SpongeBob, which that's not what they're doing. It's just that that was the SpongeBob I grew up with. And so, you know, that tends to happen. And with each thing, you know, it's is back way back in the day, it was, you know, really you're you're going to sit inside and read a book. You're not going to go outside kind of thing. And, you know, with each other generation has that, but I think our generations and the ones to come, there's this much larger difference because 1990 was when internet really started to start to become commonplace. I was born eight years later and it still wasn't great internet. And, you know, now I'm 23 and 
it's internet's everywhere. It's it's almost a necessity to, especially during the pandemic, it's almost a necessity to make a living and survive in our society. And technology from like if you look at when the first computer was invented, there's like this graph where it just like it goes up and up and up. It's so fast and faster because you know there's that saying that technology's power doubles every year. And as it doubles, like it doubles more and more and we get closer and closer towards reaching them as powerful as it can be. But, you know, we went from nothing really in terms of technology. I mean, you look at when the first iPhone came out, we went from no smartphones, no touching to everyone has a smartphone, everything's touchscreen. And, you know, I think that that technological divide really is exacerbated compared to past generations. And one thing, actually, I I recently watched a documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, which I think tackles this really well, because, you know, not only does it talk about the technological divides of like, there's there's one of my favorite jokes that Alexa, I'm sure you've seen is the one where it's like, you know, me making $10 an hour opening a PDF for somebody who makes $300,000 a year kind of thing, where it really shows not only that kind of the financial differences in positions at a company, but also the different skill sets and stuff generationally. And because I grew up knowing how to open a PDF, you know, in third grade, I knew how to do that. And so anyway, the the documentary, The Social Level, does a really great job of highlighting some of the technological differences, but also the different effects that technology has had on people because technology affects everybody, but it's going to affect people who are going through their development stages far greater than somebody who's an adult already. And so me now, if they come out with this brand new technology thing, you know, like for virtual reality, for example, is is something I'm really into. I didn't start using that until like last year and it it blew my mind, you know, because when I was little, I remember still having like dial up internet and stuff. And now I'm in this virtual world. And so then if you take that and you give that virtual world to a six-year-old and that's, you know, they grew up with that, that is going to have a very different effect on them. And so if you take that and you apply social media, which is something that hadn't existed in our parents' generation and the negative effects that that can have on children, you know, that's why there's the, you know, not only because of the pandemic, but because of the social media use, especially for younger generations, you have higher rates of anxiety, higher rates of depression. And the social element is a really great job of kind of outlining all of that and how the technological increases has really kind of separated the generations far greater than it normally is. It's not as much just a, oh, you know, when I was your age, I used to run six miles through a blizzard to get to school kind of thing. It really is more of a, when I was your age, I didn't, I couldn't talk to somebody on the other side of the world. And I didn't know what was going on on the other side of the world. And I didn't know this. And so all of that kind of couples and keeps growing and growing. And then you have the consistent uncertainties with like climate change, with, you know, systemic racism, with, you know, wars on the other side of the world, with genocides that we didn't know. I mean, the term genocide was coined, I believe it was in the thirties, you know, we didn't have, and so then over the last hundred years, and then we have social media, like we know everything that's happening and it's kind of awful to know a lot of the times it's necessary to know, but it's one of those things where it really takes a toll on people. And so it really does change how people think when you're growing up knowing all of this you have the world at your hand which sounds great but it also has a lot of negative impacts yeah and one of the things i was on a leadership global broadcast and one of the things i brought up because this conversation kind of came up again is that one of the things that we don't take into consideration when we're thinking about managing people is where they are and that's what you're talking about taylor 
where did they grow up with? What did they grow up with? What was comfortable for them versus others? And one of the things that we have grown up with is, or your generation has grown up with, is, you know, active shooter campaigns and and training in schools where that's what you think. And one of the things I talked about was how is safety redefined for your generation, where we have to think about on a regular basis, active shooter campaign, you know, whether you're going to get snatched or your kid's going to get snatched for sex trafficking, et cetera, because if the internet hasn't done anything, it has brought highlight, as you were just saying, to all the things, good and bad, and made it where we're 24-7, we have an opportunity to dig deep into it and have that become part of our reality. And for some people, become more of their reality. So this idea of safety has had to have changed for your generation than it was for my generation. I was worried about the bomb coming down and blowing us up. Well, I don't worry about bombs doing it anymore. I feel like the, my most dangerous thing is probably going into my car into a, or going to a nightclub and somebody coming by and, you know, for whatever reason, deciding to shoot the nightclub up. And so I, I didn't understand before, but I really don't understand about gun rights, gun control, and all of these things where we can't have reasonable identification around these things, especially given how easy technology makes it so that we can have identification on people. So so those are the kinds of issues that are really affecting. And you guys are going to have to, you know, at some point, we're going to be turning the reins over. And, and, and your activism, even in the last couple of elections, Elections has demonstrated at a younger age, you're much more involved in how the world revolves. What does it mean to be in this world? And so in a strange way, I really wanted to hear from both of you. What do you think the future, if you have, you know, you're now trying to decide on your vision, what your contribution is going to be, what the world is going to look like 30 years from now. I know that's a long time, but it's a lot shorter than you think. What do you think your contribution is going to be? What is it that your generation is going to deliver to the world? Man, what a what a lofty question. And it it definitely is something that I feel like I grapple with every single day. And I, I think everyone kind of does in their own way. You know, what is my contribution to this world? But I think my hopes would be that there is more, more interdependency on one another. Recognizing the power of community, I think, is really huge, particularly because with, with so many of those issues that we've been talking about, like climate change, systemic racism, this mental health thing, et cetera, like it, I feel like it really does boil down to classism in so many ways and just decisions being made by people in positions of power. And I, I think that by coming together in our communities, you know, whatever that means to you, whether it's your physical community that you're you're sitting in your neighborhood, you know, whether it's digital communities that we've kind of had to forge ourselves during this pandemic, that there is that communication happening because I think that in order for big changes to be made to make a better world, I think that we do need that open communication. And I think it has to happen between generations, you know, mm -hmm. like no generation can accomplish something all by themselves. And to anybody who is like listening to this, and you're managing people who are my age and Taylor's age, you know, like, I, I hope that you just feel welcomed in, you know, like, we can't do this by ourselves. And we want you, we want you here, you know, because you have skills. And so do we. And so like, let's all get together and yeah, and make some change. I think that community is the start of it all. And once we have that, there will just be positive ripple effects. Kind of. Taylor? I mean, it, it is a difficult question, like Alexis said, especially because of the added on uncertainty that's really just grown. Alexa and I actually both recently have watched Inside, Bo Burnham's Inside, 
which I know has had a lot of impact on I'm looking at the world right now. But, you know, it is difficult for me to kind of guess in 30 years, because like I said, not only is technology just constantly changing. Like, so part of me looks at the world and I say, you know, are, are we going to end up, is this going to be cyberpunk? Is this going to be a unempathetic society driven by dystopian capitalism, private corporations running the show? You know, are we going to move towards the unempathetic higher man of Nietzsche? You know, and it's kind of difficult because I have no idea where the world's going to go, but I do think what Alexa kind of said really highlights the main reality of the direction is that we have that kind of community and we have the people who aren't willing to put up with the world going in that direction. And as we come together across generations and people start to realize they look down, they look at younger generations and say, wow, you know, you've had to grow up in a world knowing all of the horrible atrocities that are happening. And then looking at the older generation and say, well, you've had to watch this world that you thought was this amazing place crumble as everything started to come to light. And you know, coming together and showing that, you know, no, we're going to make sure that we, everybody's getting paid properly. We're going to make sure that everybody has equal rights. We're going to make sure that everybody feels safe and accepted and included and coming together as a community, like Lexi said. And I think 30 years from now, I have no idea what the world will be like, but I do think that we will really start to shift away from some of the things that we're experiencing now. And I mean that in a way that, you know, we've we've seen that capitalism isn't necessarily a end-all be-all great answer to the situation. We've seen that we need to be more proactive about climate change. We've seen that we need to adjust how our country reacts to democratic process or adjust the democratic process entirely. You know, all these different things that do need to change are all coming to light. You know, we've understood that systemic racism isn't a thing of the 60s. It is a thing of now. And, you know, there are all of these issues that we need to come together and fix. And I think that Alexa kind of really hit the nail on the head with we need to come together across generations as a community, saying that we each bring something different to the table, but everything that we bring will be able to help make the world a better place. Yeah. So as I think back and have looked at my notes as we've been talking, I think that the best things that we can take away from this conversation is one, the fact that you guys are so much more comfortable with technology is an opportunity to as we read in all kinds of books, all kinds of podcasts, whatever, listen to all kinds of podcasts, whatever it is, is that, you know, there are some things that are just rote and that they ought to be automated. You guys have an opportunity because you're much more comfortable with technology to be able to take processes, automate those processes. And those that work, which is doesn't require critical thinking, can be just put in a system that automatically happens. That's one of the reasons why I love both of you in terms of being able to work with you because you think like that. You automatically think, oh, wait a minute, let's put this in a process. Let's get this so that we don't have to do it repetitively, those kinds of things. And so people can learn to leverage the knowledge on both sides. I can, hopefully what my value is, is that I'm helping you understand how to connect the dots. I'm helping you understand how to be comfortable with just trying stuff that may or may not work. And let's see what the idea says and then how to do the analytics, which is that whole, all they do is PowerPoint generation, uh, PowerPoint presentations, which is great because that's the use of technology. What we need is a conversation that holds us together to say, what do we understand about the data that's on this PowerPoint presentation? How does that help move our businesses forward? What does that look like? And that's a great way in which two very different mindsets, perspectives can come together to close the gap and build a better world for everyone. So with that, folks, you know that it's time for me to say, see ya, I appreciate you. And I will be back here next week with Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. 
That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper, and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend Ivan G. Hall for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.